Oh my god, they have little Marys on them. <laughs> so uh, they're made with the water from Lords. That seems sacrilegious to me, but I don't care. I mean, we literally ate the body of Christ. I don't know why drinking <laughs> water of Lords would be like weird. <laughs> All right. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the deceptively young, arguably hip, and openly lay editors of America <laughs> Media. <laughs> that lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I am Ashley McKinless, and I'm here with Zach Davis. Hello, everyone. And Olga Segura. Hey, guys. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Hmm. Kind of hopped up. <laughs> Zach, can you tell us how you spent your last hour and a half? We were experiencing some technical difficulties, but yeah. dear listener, we put in the effort, the extra effort mm-hmm. for you. For you. So yeah. we're here so after the hours. Mics are at, working. Yeah, the mm-hmm. mics are on. The Our recording. Tools. Yep. That is it's... bought. Yeah. And we're hopped up on... Doritos, Doritos, and and uh, what's on tap this week, which is really exciting. Tell um, us, Zach. I would love to. So, uh, the our ad, <laughs> our ad nerd, which I believe nerd. is short for it, adverb nerd. Yeah, ad nerd <laughs> and friend of America Media, Stephen Grant, suggested that for weeks when our listeners did not submit cocktail recipes, we could sample monastic beers. Great idea. Yes, very much so. And he wrote, to demonstrate the strength of my conviction, I'm going to ship you guys a, a starter set of several Trappist ales. So this week, we have the best of the Belgians from a website based in Ohio. Love Ohio. Ohio. We produce the best things. <laughs> Presidents, <laughs> podcast hosts. Zach Davis. Monastic beer. <laughs> and so the website... To be clear, the beer isn't actually from Ohio. The website is based in no, Ohio. But, but, People from Ohio Gotta have keep great you guys taste. Humble, Zach. Sorry. <laughs> Sit down, be humble. Um, and so, this is from Monastery Greetings, which stocks and distributes products from a large number of monasteries and convents from around the world. Uh, may I propose a toast? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Stephen. To, to you, Stephen, and to, to Stephen. the monks around the world who labor to bring us this delicious drink we call beer. Cheers! Cheers! So today we're running an interview we recorded last week with Nathan Schneider, a professor of media studies at the University of Colorado Boulder and a regular contributor to America. And also Nathan's baby. Right, right. We can't forget the special guest that we had last week. So Yeah. Daniel. Oh, my Daniel gosh. Was... <laughs> he kind of stole the show. He Sorry, really Nathan. did. <laughs> For, forget the topic we covered. It was totally the baby. So if you hear, like, banging on the table consistently, it's Daniel playing with a styrofoam cup um, or some nice cooing. That comes courtesy of Daniel. So one of the big topics that Nathan covers is cooperative businesses or co-ops. So if you're wondering what exactly co-ops are, it's an association of people who unite together to sort of voluntarily own and uh, operate businesses. So if you're a city dweller like me, you're probably familiar with housing co-ops, but there are other cooperatives such as grocery stores, banks, etc. Community gardens. Community gardens, right. If you are... But also things like REI. Like outdoor stores. I'm a member of REI. Or I'm not. I get like $3 a year. In shares? Wow. Look at, look at you. My dividend. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to get a little more deep into that with Nathan later on in the show. Um, and after that, we're going to bring you our Consolations and Desolations, where every week we show you where we found God or struggled to find him in our week. 
But first, it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, And up first, like usual, we have some Pope Francis news. Uh, Over the weekend, he was asked uh, what he thought of Donald Trump's policies ahead of their they're going to be meeting for the first time in person next week. His response to the question was, quote, I never judge someone before I listen to him. I can't do that. We will talk and things will come up. I will tell him what I think. He will tell me what he thinks. But I have never wanted to judge someone before I listen to the person. See, I've wanted to judge people before I listen to them <laughs> so many times. That's why you're not Pope. It's That's true. Not pope. And, and the White House, for its part, um, they, had, they said last week that Donald Trump looks forward to paying his respects to the Pope and to discussing religious freedom, ways to combat religious persecution, human trafficking, and cooperating on humanitarian missions across the globe. So it looks like they could find some common ground. Uh-huh. Despite the <laughs> contentious relationship that we discussed last week. I think week. he's just going to be, like, amazed by the Vatican. No, yeah. There's so much, like, gold gilded In, stuff. Yeah, he's just going to be like... <laughs> he's going to be like, wow, your toilet's even nicer than mine. Yeah, she's not going not gonna to be okay with uh, Yeah, so... Uh, my favorite Catholic gymnast, <laughs> uh, Simone Biles. She won four golds at the Olympic Games. Yeah, that in the seems summer. newsworthy. This next thing I know <laughs> is newsworthy. <laughs> well, okay. So after her like stunning performance at the Olympics, she went on as most stars do to Dancing with the Stars, <laughs> and she made it all the way to the semifinals. But then that's not even the semifinals a, is not even a stunning <laughs> and a stunning decision. Uh, People don't remember who wins second in these competitions. Zach, let me talk about this. <laughs> she she got second. cut this week. It was. I don't actually watch Dancing with the Stars, but I Googled it, and like everyone was <laughs> you, shocked. You were they were just shocked. Digging the dagger deeper into <laughs> okay, Zach's back. But, but also, um, after she was cut, the the host was like asked her a question that was basically like, "Well, like maybe if you had smiled more, like you would have won." And her response was, "Smiling doesn't win gold medals." Boom. So okay, awesome. I totally and take she's it Catholic. back. Great and story. she told reporters during the Olympics that she travels with a rosary her mom gave her and a statue of Saint Saint Sebastian, the patron saint of athletes. So she's super <laughs> Catholic, and this is definitely newsworthy. If <laughs> Sorry, I could, reha- if I, dear listener, if I could reheadline this for you, <laughs> famous Catholic enters dance competition. <laughs> Doesn't get first, second, after third, winning or, four golds, the most gymna- the most golds any female gymnast. And also, has I mean, full Olympics. disclosure: I've never in my life seen Dancing with the Stars, but I read this story, and she was also super excited about all the people she met. She yeah, said Zach. she met fr- she I'm made sorry, friends I, for I life. She made a friend. Did, dear listener, did you Zach. did you make a friend this week? Let us know. Maybe it'll be signs Zach. of the times next week. <laughs> yeah, and let us know if you want a gold medal at the Olympics. Exactly, Zach. How many gold yeah, medals have you made? Right. If you have a gold medal, please write in. <laughs> All right, what's our next story, Olga? So on May 3rd, the Cardinal Newman Society called out nine universities for the commencement speakers that they decided to have, which they say included pro-abortion politicians, a dissenting priest, and advocates for same-sex marriage. Some of the universities included on this list um, are Boston College, Zach's own Loyola Chicago. Um, and this isn't the first time that... I'd also like to point out that I think three of the people on the list have written for America. Yeah. <laughs> Including um, a bishop. Right, right. Um, and this is not the first time that the society has done this. Back in 2009, they also 
were against Obama speaking at Notre Dame, and they sort of said that it was like inviting Hitler. Uh, so this is this is not new to them, you know. Um, so this begs the question: Do commencement speakers at Catholic universities should they abide by Catholic social teaching, or what do you guys think? <sighs> I think it's tricky because well, for, I'll, I'll say first what the Cardinal Newman Society is doing is not helpful in any way because they're just whistleblowing to uh, you know shout into a culture war and not convert anyone or change hearts and minds in any way whatsoever. So I'll, I would start with that. Secondly is that institutions, so Catholic institutions like Catholic people, identities are complicated, right? And it's a give and take when you're trying to negotiate what it means to be a Catholic and what it means to embody Catholic social teaching. Cause typically what Cardinal Newman society is concerned about are it's a very narrow understanding So Pope Francis just said the death penalty is inadmissible. Would the Cardinal Newman Society object to a speaker who supported the death penalty? Right. Who knows? Or would they object to a successful business person who isn't paying their workers a just wage? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I suspect no. Yeah. So um, this week... uh, John Garvey, the president of Catholic University of America, uh, he wrote an article um, saying, I think he was maybe, I don't don't think he would go as far as the Cardinal Newman Society, but he was, he pretty much comes out and says that, like, your speaker should endorse Catholic values. And, And in his article, he quotes the bishop's statement on this, which I think is relevant to this discussion. Um, And the bishops has said that Catholic institutions should not honor those who act in defiance of our fundamental moral principles. They should not be given awards, honors, or platforms, which would suggest support for their actions. So that seems like a pretty, like, whether it's, whether it's abortion or like death penalty or war and peace like that's it's gonna be pretty hard to find someone who does not defy catholic teaching on any of those yeah and there's that clause that says which would suggest support for their actions yeah do you are you suggesting support for everything they've ever done Mm -hmm. was jesus support expressing support for everything that anyone (laughs) had had ever prostitutes over for dinner (laughs) it's a question worth asking (laughs) it is anytime someone is trying to uh, create some sort of like orthodoxy or purity test like the Cardinal Newman Society does. It's almost always a manifestation of power and silencing and almost never of holiness. Mm -hmm. In my experience, this is a personal opinion, right? Uh, I don't know. The people you've been around in your life and the people you've heard speak who are holy aren't trying to do this. Um, They radiate and they don't cause. Denunciate. Yeah. Radiate, not denunciate. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, what's our next story, Zach? Uh, Pope Francis said that he had doubts about the Medjugorje apparitions, Marian apparitions, um, that he preferred um, a Mary as mother and not a Madonna of the post office, one that says, come here, I'm going to tell you a message, same time every day. Okay, so backing up, what sure. is Matt? Say it again and Medjugorje. tell me what it is. <laughs> so in 1981, Mary appeared to the six children in what is former Yugoslavia, what's now Bosnia, um, and told the messages. And since then, there's been a church that's run by Franciscans today 
that has attracted millions and millions of pilgrims every year. So it's a very popular Catholic devotion. Now, Mary visited these six people one time, and at least a few of them today still claim that Mary visits them every single day and gives them a message that they then communicate to the rest of the people there. Now, this hasn't been approved by the Vatican as something that is real and legitimate. Since it's so popular, the Vatican decided to uh, um, form a commission under Pope Benedict to investigate the veracity of these apparitions. <laughs> but And Pope Francis has like thrown some cold water on it, right? Yeah, so... And he and he emphasized that this is a personal opinion I have, but I don't put a lot of faith in these. Yeah. And another thing uh, Pope Francis said is that he says, quote, the spiritual and pastoral facts cannot be denied. People go there and convert people who find God who changes their lives. So it's all, it's not only judged by the message, but by the fruits of that. Message. Exactly. And that's something that the commission takes into account every mm-hmm. time yeah. it investigates something. But there are thousands of apparitions that are submitted and only a handful are confirmed no i feel like when i hear these stories i'm like constantly bumping up against my own like modern rational mind where it's like okay if it had a if it happened a hundred years ago if it happened 500 years ago a thousand years ago I, I i can get on board with that but if it happened like 10 years before I was born, someone seeing Mary, that just like sounds crazy. Um, Which I I know, I know that's, that's me, but I think that might be something a lot of people feel. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, no, I agree. Like even in conversations with non-Catholics sort of trying to explain this and they're like, well, how does this really work? Like this all seems super insane to me. And then I've had the same feelings that you have. I'm like, why is it so easy to believe things that happen thousands of years ago but now i'm like really in the yeah. 80s like yeah. i was born in the 80s that doesn't make any kind of sense yeah i mean non-catholics are always like why do you worship mary right yeah this is like a pretty yeah she keeps popping back up <laughs> yeah <laughs> um she really likes us guys i'm sorry <laughs> And now we are joined by Nathan Schneider. He is a contributing writer for America and a scholar in residence at the University of Colorado Boulder. Thanks for joining us, Nathan. I'm glad to be here. And and you're joined by this is Daniel. <laughs> He's 16 months old. Yes. So if you he hear <laughs> playing with his cup and top and straw. Well, it is great to have you both. Yeah, we're very excited. Um, so you have been involved in this ongoing p- campaign to uh, turn Twitter into a co-op. And this coming Monday, May 23rd, Twitter is going to discuss this. Can you talk a little bit first, basically, what are co-ops and why do you want to turn Twitter into one? It, it, it kind of started for me when... Um uh, uh, last fall, late summer, uh, there was a lot of news about the idea that Twitter might be sold uh, to another company, that its stock price wasn't performing the way its shareholders wanted. And and in the midst of this, I've been working in this, in this international movement called uh, platform cooperativism, where we're trying to develop more shared ownership models for the online economy. Uh, cooperation is a kind of business in which the people who participate in it are the owners and co-own and co-govern the enterprise together. And it just struck me that uh, uh, Twitter might be actually 
better served by a more cooperative ownership model that maybe uh, uh, being owned by its users who really like and appreciate it would be healthier for the platform than being owned by shareholders whose only interest in it is the value of the stock price. Uh, so, you know, you compare it to something like the Associated Press, which was started as a cooperative in the 1840s, a uh, cooperative of news organizations, and through that model has been really successful at uh, at uh, serving that role of being a utility, a kind of neutral ground among many different kinds of competing media organizations. But would this like actually look like every Twitter user like paying $3 and then having a stake in it and then voting? Is that is that what it looks like? So the proposal that we have in the Twitter shareholder meeting uh, on May 22nd uh, is, is very modest. It's just uh, a proposal to study different options. So we've suggested a few options. Uh, it could be users buying in like that. It could be a, a, a kind of um, new stock issuance. It could be a, a consortium of media organizations, like in the case of um, Associated Press. Uh, so there are a range of possibilities, and all we're asking in this proposal that uh, some uh, supportive uh, uh uh, shareholders decide to put forward uh, is that the company consider these kinds of options for its future. Twitter seems kind of large and global and giant. What does a co-op look like on a maybe for like a local business as compared to um, a shareholder owned company? They can look very, very different. Uh, there's a whole range of options. You know, I, I, my first encounter with a, with a cooperative was when I was in uh, college. I lived in a cooperative house, 12 people packed together, kind of dirty, you know, vegan food, all that sort of thing, <laughs> right? Uh, this um, is everyone's fear is that this is what Twitter was right. <laughs> Um, but but the cooperative model was also uh, uh, that of the company that my my grandfather uh, uh, was was part of for much of his career. He was a farm boy from Colorado and and uh, got involved in the hardware business and was was interested in how to create economies of scale to enable small hardware stores to stay in business as the big companies started to grow. And and cooperatives have been basically the model by which that's happened. And so he was a, an executive in a, uh, in a cooperative for much of his career. And, you know, this was a conservative, um, you know, very kind of all business type of man, you know, very clean cut, uh, very concerned with appearances, uh, uh, would not be comfortable at all in the in the cooperative that I went to college in. Uh, so this is just an example of the way in which this model um, uh, uh, can look many different ways. The what uh, uh, what's at the core of it is that the participants are the owners and have some say in governance. If you are a worker and you are a co-owner of the business that you work in, what does that mean? Does that mean you are the same as your boss? You make the same as your boss? You have the same decision making power as your boss? Uh, it can mean many things, and there are many forms. Um, uh, typically, in large-scale cooperatives, uh, uh, people make different amounts of money. People have different roles. Um, usually, there is some kind of limit on how much it can be, like maybe five times. Uh, the you know, CEO make five, might make five times the amount of the lowest uh, uh, worker, something like that. Instead but of like 300 times. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, if five times sounds like a lot, but comparatively, it's not so much. Um uh, you know, th these businesses in many ways can operate a lot like other kinds of businesses. And actually, there are cooperatives around us that we don't see. And, and you know, I'm working... I'm a part of REI's co-op. <laughs> REI, absolutely. And, and Dairy Queens. 
you know, I've started seeing the, the, the purchasing cooperative that's part of the, the franchise system there. It's got a cooperative in it. Oh. You know, so wow. does Best Western and, you know, a lot of these other companies. True Value Hardware, Southwest Airlines is partly employee-owned. Uh, uh, you know, companies all around us wow. are uh, practicing this model. And, uh, and part of uh, this process of empowering ourselves is, you know, recognizing the legacy uh, that is still at work uh, around us. The interest of Catholic tradition in the cooperative movement started as an attempt to find an alternative to both the excesses of industrial capitalism and the excesses of um, Marxist communism, right? And and cooperative models, uh, starting with Rerum Novarum, uh, the encyclical in the late 1900s, um, uh, became a kind of uh, a space where Catholics could start trying to put their faith into action in the economy. And this is, uh, I think Mondragon is cited a lot as like a model for success, but something that often gets left out is that that's a Catholic started movement, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So Mondragon is the largest worker cooperative uh, uh, business. Oh yes. It's a button. (laughs) (laughs) The largest worker cooperative business in the world. It's in the Basque country. Um, The Basque country, which is where? St. Ignatius uh, is it, from? It is, it's where St. Ignatius is from. It's in the country um, uh, known as Spain, though some Basques don't see it that way. <laughs> and um, and, and it's, it employs something like 70,000 worker owners uh, doing high-tech industrial production and retail and, and all sorts of things. And it was started by a, a Catholic priest uh, who... who uh, saw cooperati- cooperation as rooted in the personalism yeah. and and, and um, uh, Catholic social teaching of of the time, and saw this as a means not only of building economic independence but of of building an economy that supported the whole person, you know, and that that allowed uh, human dignity to flourish. You talked about the Catholic Church's role um, in this movement, but um, why should Catholics care about this now, at this particular moment in our history? Well, one reason is because we're part of this economy that is not working for everybody. And this is a um, uh, this is a, a, a part of our tradition, I think, that we can recapture and offer to this economy, to this society, as, as a, one of the riches of our tradition. Uh, you know, in the in the late 19th century, there was a different kind of populism, right? It was uh, a lot of the same complaints, you know, that the that the um, that the urban elites had taken everything over and were controlling the means of production and the means of distribution. The farmers were getting were were getting a bad deal. Yeah, it was very sad, and <laughs> and um, and so. Um, uh, uh, there was a different response, though. For for decades, uh, organizations like in the cities, the the um, Knights of Labor, which were a very Catholic uh, uh, labor union, uh, and then the countryside uh, organizations like the Grange and the Farmers Alliance, which in some cases were very anti-Catholic, um, uh, had been developing cooperative enterprise. So the the farmers and workers had gotten that a kind of formation that you know we can build an economy ourselves. And so the, the kind of populism that emerged at that time was, was um, very pro-women's rights, for instance. It was in favor of, of uh, expanding the vote. It was, um, it was interested in, in retaking control of the money system. 
it was it was interested in implementing uh, progressive income taxes, which at the time were not in place, uh, and social security, things like this. Uh, and and I think when we build a populism on the basis of our own potential for empowerment, it's very different from a populism built on on a kind of powerlessness. And I think right now we have the latter, and we have an opportunity. I think to take the frustrations that are are uh, uh, at work across our society and and transform them into something I think much more positive um, by starting with you know building economies and democracies in our everyday lives. Are you telling me that I should be able to elect my president and my boss? What if you did? How would things be different? <laughs> Maybe it would be the customers uh, are, are, uh, employ- are electing your boss, you know, depending on what's appropriate in, in, in the given case. Um, but, you know, imagine a world in which the things that we uh, uh, depended on, the organizations, the institutions we depended on, were accountable to us. Uh, were accountable to us not just to keep buying their stuff, accountable to us as consumers, purely in our identity as consumers, but accountable to us uh, uh, more fully as people, as as uh, uh, people with uh, uh, with lives and with air that they have to breathe and with water that they have to drink and and you know babies, and babies, things like raise. that. <laughs> um, and and that's why uh, the. Uh, I think Catholics have really gravitated to this movement because it's it's a, a way of building the full person into the economy, uh, and and it's a way of building that structure while at the same time not assuming people are angels, mm-hmm. right? There are still incentive structures built in. There are still systems built in. It, the fall is still taken account for here, uh, and, and I think that's so important to to recognize. You know. Cooperatives are not built for utopias. They're built for for this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have this question for all of our guests. If you can canonize anyone, living or dead, who could it be? And Catholic, non-Catholic. Fictional. Yeah. Non-fictional. Oof. That's a big uh, uh, stick to wield. I, I don't know if I... If I um, uh, how responsible it would be to uh, uh, to identify anybody without uh, putting them through the full ringer of knowing uh, uh, just how many miracles, miracles they produce. <laughs> Never, nevertheless, I do think um, it is worth considering Jose Maria Arismendi Arrieta, the founder of Mondragon, uh, somebody who was able to. Uh, 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 yes, you don't. You disagree. <laughs> Well, nevertheless, Jose Maria in, <laughs> until I hear an alternative, I will proceed. Um, because he was somebody able to uh, put that spirituality into into a way of life, into a way of life, and and um, and the fact that nobody has replicated this system that he helped create, uh, uh, I, I think. Is I think he's trying to say goodbye. Of the miracle. <laughs> Are you saying bye? Is it time to say bye? Should we say bye to everybody on the other side of the microphone? Bye? Oh, now it's... Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a great answer. Yeah. Um, and thank you both for joining us. And thank you for your patience, Daniel. <laughs> All right. Bye, right. Nathan. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Oh, thanks so much.
Okay, now it's time for some listener mail slash feedback. Uh, first, on Twitter, we asked the question, if you were a commencement speaker, what advice would you pass on to recent college grads? Olga, what were some of the answers we got back? So we got from Jake. It's okay to ask why. Why is the most important question? Eight years of Jesuit Tampa, Florida, and at Loyola Chicago taught me to always try to understand the why. Nice. Go Ramblers. Um, from... <laughs> papal subject at submit to the pope uh his answer was not surprisingly repent and submit to the pope yeah his uh his twitter account just seems to be like uh telling everyone to repent and submit to the pope which reminds me of this uh cheers that we used to do in college so if if you'll indulge me a little bit uh it was always don't we always if if everyone could raise a glass now this is where so i would say to the holy father to the son? No, and I would say oh. to the Holy Father. <laughs> I thought like, we were going in a circle and no, saying no, no, all no, no, the no, Trinity. No. And you two would say, and death to his enemies. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> we're ready. So, to the Holy Father. Death to, death his, death enemies. to his enemies. Yes, cheers. So, thank oh, you. God. Repent. Okay. And from Ryan Sawyer, I would tell them no president has ever been treated worse than Trump. <laughs> Referencing, right. referencing, I believe, what President Trump said to the Coast Guard today. <laughs> President Trump is giving a commencement address to the Coast Guard and just um, says, I mean, look at how the media is treated me. No one's ever been treated this badly. Forced. Okay. Um, also on Twitter, I, this is not related to, co- to commencements, but I liked it. It was from Gene Kennedy. Hashtag evangelization. I made my repairman listen to the, your podcast while he was repairing my dishwasher. So <laughs> thanks for evangelizing. The yeah. new evangelization. <laughs> so that's great. Um, some sad, some sad news. Um, our ad nerd, Stephen Grant, is officially retiring. He said Aww. the pressure of coming up with three <laughs> adverbs for our intro was just too much. Oh, so man. he went out with style, sending us beer and our last three adverbs. But he's passing on the torch to the next generation. And that is you, Twitter followers. We so, need you to send in your adverbs. Yeah, because we don't want to do Young, work. lay, and hip. We are blank lay, blank young, and blank hip. And you don't have to send in booze to, for us to use your adverbs, but it helps. It helps, totally. You don't have to. I mean, we'll drink it if you do, but... Yeah. Okay, time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Olga? Um, so this week, I've got a desolation. So, as I've mentioned to you guys and on the podcast, uh, Kendrick Lamar dropped his damn album, which, of course, I'm a huge fan of. Um, And simultaneously, I've been reading uh, the Bible, Uh, but I've noticed that it's much it's I'm much more comfortable saying that, oh, I'm like this hip hop head who like loves Kendrick and I know this and that. But when it comes to the Bible, I'm like, this is really awkward. Like, I don't want to say this to anyone. So there's this weird sort of sense of shame when it comes to doing that. And that's been kind of weird and hard for me. Well, the Gideons aren't putting a copy of damn in every hotel in america <laughs> exactly so i mean <laughs> there's that difference right but... right wouldn't that make it easier to talk about the bible yeah maybe <laughs> i mean because i go to a bar and i have like two drinks and i'm like hey guys <laughs> jesus <laughs> let, you... me tell him, let me tell you about him <laughs> are you or i mean like a lot of times i get this too where like people want to talk about me working at a catholic magazine uh-huh. and they'll want to tell me everything they think about religion yeah. in general because there's not I don't think there's like a space for people to talk about religion in a 
public way or even a private way, right? We don't have the vocabulary to do those things unless you were like a campus ministry groupie mm-hmm. right. in your college. Um, but I think it's something we can all relate to. And I don't think it's anything weird. Like if, cause, because also if you were just like out in times square standing on a milk crate, you know, talking about the Bible, no one's going to listen to you. I actually did do that also, Zach. So thanks for adding to my desolation. Um, but I was going to bring that up. Um, and next week's Jesuitical promo Olga goes to Times Square to convert sinners. <laughs> no, you're totally right. They're like these spaces sort of don't exist for us. So I'm only thinking that that's weird because I don't have that space. Um, but here, I guess our recording is a kind of space where I can do that. Yeah. And I think you have to like, you can only talk about these types of things like with people you love. Right, and right. That's what it comes down to. Right, and I love everyone. <laughs> All right, what do you have, Zach? Uh, I've got a desolation this week because I have had for the past like month and a half or two months or so like a pretty non-existent prayer life, and even that is stretching it a little bit. It's just been non-existent uh, since Easter for a number of reasons. I've just like the last like four weeks like either I was sick or traveling or moving. I just like have missed uh, mass on Sunday. And that is typically the thing that reminds me to pray. (laughs) I don't know, just going every week. Um, That. And of course, knowing that I have a consolation and desolation that I have to come up with too. (laughs) (laughs) Looming over me. (laughs) Yeah. Looming over me each week. Um, But I've had a hard time finding time in my day to pray. Um, and every time I try to say it's because I've been really busy, I've been like moving and stuff. I'm reminded of what Lauren Schwer, my campus minister at Loyola told me. Uh, she said, oh, you know, we think people should pray, uh, you know, 15 minutes a day. Oh, and busy people, we know you're really, really busy. So you should probably pray 30 minutes a day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, freaking Pope Francis, who's busier than him. <laughs> and yeah, well, I imagine he prays. Yeah, I don't want to like set <laughs> no, the bar sorry, at the no. Pope. <laughs> Set the bar that high, Ashley. No, um, I was just thinking when you said that, I was like, when does Pope Francis pray? <laughs> when does Pope Francis sleep? Yeah. Um, but I'm also like in a time of transition right now where I'm setting new routines, um, having moved, like new commutes and dinner schedules and things. And so this is like a time for me to be intentional about when I'm going to make carve out that time in my day. So uh, pray for me while we'll I figure we'll, that out. We'll pray with you. Yeah, about that? or with me. Um, so that's my desolation is that I miss that God connection. What about you, Ashley? Um, so last week I was kind of dismissive of Pope Francis's call for like not over intellectualizing homilies and, you know, just like speaking simply. I was like, Hey, I like intellectual homilies. But then on Sunday I went to what I call my after party mass, which is the church like across from my street has a ten thirty mass that I go to on Sunday mornings when I've been out too late on Saturday. <laughs> it's just... like it's my like, okay, it's late enough. I can get there. It'll get me out of bed. And yes, so went to that mass. It also happens to be the children's mass. So we get to the homily, the guy get you know, he goes down, sits like in a little circle with all the kids and then tells them the story of Fatima and it's really great and I I actually don't really know the story of Fatima despite all of America's coverage of it so I was like really engaged in it and then at the end he was um 
He was like, but so what Fatima asked of us is to pray the rosary uh, to bring about world peace. So like, like he was asking the kids, but you know, by implication, asking all of us to like try to pray the rosary. And if you don't have time for the rosary, pray a decade or just three Hail Marys or just one Hail Mary, just pray one Hail Mary. And I was like, okay, I can do this. Cause like, like you, Zach, like I, for more than two months, for, like I've always struggled with prayer and like working at a Jesuit magazine, like the answer has always been like, oh, do the examine or use your imagination to put yourself in the gospels. And like, it just like doesn't work for me. And so going back to the rosary actually has worked. So I was, um, I mean, that makes sense. There's a reason like Catholics, we have these words that have are tried and true, right? You yeah. don't have to be creative when you pray. You just have yeah. to call out and that's, we we have a formula for that, which yeah. is really nice. Yeah. So so on Monday night, I was like, my usual like going to bed routine is I like look for a podcast to put on that's like interesting enough that I want to listen to it, but boring enough that it'll put me to sleep. And I was like, okay. <laughs> not Jesuitical, <laughs> not Jesuitical. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, oh, I've already listened to all of these, and then I was like, just like kind of heard this voice in the back of my head being like, pray the rosary. <laughs> and so, <laughs> thankfully, I, I do have one by my bed, so I just like grabbed it. Where's it from? It is from the Holy Land. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's from when I went to the Holy Land with my family um, in 2012. So had this rosary, started praying it, made it through two and a half decades, fell asleep. <laughs> but so, and then woke up in the middle of the night and did like a half a decade more. Um, then and the angels great. finished the rest of it. Yeah, that, that's what I'm told. Um, but it was really great. Uh, and I've done that the last three nights. And not to like pretend like the rosary is this miraculous like sleep aid but i've been getting like a really good couple nights of sleep <laughs> like i've woken up refreshed look at that i know <laughs> so i yeah I'd, I'd say it's a consolation and zach maybe you should try the rosary all right i'll do that ashley <laughs> all right i think that just about does it yeah it does um, Jesuitical is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey and Eloise Bondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Adult supervision provided by Carrie Weber. For the last week, adverbs provided by self-professed abnerd Stephen Grant. Everyone, fill in, fill in those big shoes with your ab, your adverbs. Do our jobs for us. <laughs> Um, our logo is by Sean Tripoli, and you can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Um, so, yeah. Jesuitical is recorded in front of a live studio audience yes. of one this week. Yes! Rosa <laughs> Rosa Dessas. <laughs> and not only that, she kind of saved the day when we we're having some technical difficulties. She did. So, yes. I think we should dedicate Shout out this, to Rosa. Yeah. Thank this episode. episode to her. Yeah. Brought by Rosa. <laughs> Cheers to you, Rosa. <laughs> so, yes, send us your adverbs your cocktail recipes or monastic beers or any other beers wines fine liquors <laughs> unfine unfine liquors we'll literally unfine take liquors, anything, anything. <laughs> or all. your questions feedback where you found god this week to jesuitical at americamedia.org for america media i'm ashley mckinless with zach davis and olga segura and we will see you next week bye, bye everybody bye